Like, if we can't even agree on what's wrong, we're not gonna collaborate. And if we don't feel like there's this pressure to solve a problem that's bigger than what our company or organization can do on its own, there's no momentum to collaborate. You're listening to WorkWise, the growth mindset for wisdom at work. I'm Ken Kennard, coach and chief creative officer at Accent Interactive. And joining me is Michael Boys of Credo Consulting. And we're joined today by Chip Roper, executive director and principal consultant at Voca Center in New York City. In this episode, we talk about why people are so attracted to collaboration and what it takes to make it successful. He pulls some of these lessons from his experience collaborating in the city, where he helps people find and follow their calling. All right, so uh, back in the studio, now we've got someone, one of our guests from last year is back with us, uh, Chip Roper. Chip, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Chip, it's good to hear your voice again. The, I think the last time I heard it was our invitation to come back. Uh, and here you are. So uh, I am I'm glad that my invitation was so powerful to you. It was, I'm, I'm coerced. All of my remarks today are under duress. <laughs> <laughs> well, last time we talked about uh, collaboration, and since then, my ears have been kind of tuned to listening for collaboration language from people. You know, there's work in general, but then there's collaboration, which has kind of a real initial appeal. Like you hear the word and people automatically think, ooh, that sounds fun. That sounds interesting. Uh, I, think, I think what appeals to me about the word is that it gets me out of my normal work into something that's fresh, novel, interesting. I get to get out of my usual doldrums. Interesting. That's interesting. I, I, I just I think of it as a word that uh, where we recognize that whatever it is we're working on is bigger than we are. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to connect with some others who have expertise or connections that we don't have. And we're going to find like these mutually beneficial kind of partnerships. So I think there's a hopeful part, a hopeful aspect to the word. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, that's that's where I am too, Chip, in terms of what I think the word means, in terms of where, where it is. It's a very creative uh, thing to, to have, and we're going to do something new and exciting and, and kind of leave the ordinary behind and make something new. And so the idea of it is really exciting to me. Um, Last year, we talked about some work that you were doing and and how essential collaboration uh, has been for your work there in New York City. And we talked a lot about both the the, the greatness of the idea, but also some of the frustrations of the attempt to really be as collaborative as we aspire to be. And I'm just just really wondering what's been, you know, what's been happening in the last year? (laughs) No small question. Right, right. well, just, I guess, several different things. So one is, I think we talked about this last time, but there's a difference between internal collaboration and external collaboration. So, um, you know, organizationally, our organizations continue to grow and, you know, we're just finding in certain certain areas we need to collaborate, uh, that, that different team members have, for us, it's a lot of networking, whether we're doing, uh, trying to bring great thought leaders into specific settings to share their wisdom or we're fundraising, we, we, we find that we have overlapping webs of relationship, but none of us has kind of the corner on the market and we need each other. And so the need internally to communicate, just to keep each other apprised of what we're doing and who we're interfacing with, and even just sharing thoughts, it's kind of like this mutual benefit, you know, we're mutually beneficial to each other. So that's, that's something that has actually grown, I'd say, in the last year. Um, externally, with you know, one organization collaborating with another organization, 
you know, I kind of see two things. I see sometimes, sometimes it works and it's a beautiful thing. And sometimes, um, sometimes to me anyway, from where I sit, it's just a lot of talking. Like where collaboration is the, the thing you're supposed to do. So let's, let's get together and talk about collaborating. And talking about collaborating is not the same as collaborating. Hmm. So, so what's the difference? Um, and why do people just talk about collaboration and not do it? If, if, it's, if they value it and they're there to talk about it, like what, what, what's stopping them from doing it? Or do they think they're doing it by just talking about it? That's a great question because they may think I'm getting together with people from different organizations. And instead of just staying in my silo and kind of silently competing, I'm actually, you know, shaking hands and rubbing shoulders and finding out what other folks are doing. And maybe they feel like that is collaborating. Um, you know, t- to me, that's that's just talking. So what's your vision of collaborate? How does When does it cross the line to real collaboration? So real collaboration is when we roll up our sleeves and we solve a problem together. You know, and you're going to do part of it and I'm going to do part of it. And the part that you do fits with your mission and your capacities. And the part that I do fits with my mission and my capacities. But we're going to we're going to we're going to make something or fix something or seize an opportunity or change something. We're going to do something. We're not just going to talk. Yeah. So it's so so you're seeing a lot of a lot of talk, less action. Um, I'm curious uh, kind of about the other direction of it, which is. Why? Why do we think why do we think that people are are so so ready, it seems to jump to collaboration and say, hey, let's talk about collaborating. It's, it's, it seems to be a solution they have in mind to something. What are they seeking? What's the, why are they, what are they seeking solutions to when they say that? Well, at least I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into an example. And I think that this example might ferret out a couple different things. But one is that so, so I'll tell the example, and then I'll tell you why I engaged in it. And then maybe that'll help us on this, Mike. Um, so uh, one of the things that, that I'm doing is, and working on, um, I mean, I'll, actually, I'll step back. Everything I'm working on is related to people's work and helping them connect their faith life and their work life, but also practically helping them understand who they are and how they should map a path forward for their, for their career. And some of the people that are most eager to talk to me are people who are looking for a job. And so they're out of work and they're struggling with, you know, what do I, how do I get through this? How do I find work? How do I survive? What do I do? And, um, so individually as a person who's here working for a nonprofit focused on work, can I help them? Sure. I can help them. I've been through two job searches in the last seven years. I came to New York and networked my way into a position of these kinds of things. So I can help them with coaching and with connections, but my uh, expertise is somewhat limited and my capacity is limited. And so, uh, I'm part of a, a men's fraternity here in New York city called the new Canaan society. And about 70 to 80 men gather every Thursday morning for breakfast at Rockefeller Center. And a significant portion of those men, say roughly 25 to 30 percent, are looking for work. The leaders of the New Canaan Society are also wrestling, you know, they're also entertaining conversations with people. They're saying, hey, I need a job and that kind of thing. So that's the second player. Third player are two of the guys 
in the New Canaan Society who are headhunters. And, you know, one of the, one of the, they'll tell you this if you get 10 seconds with them, they'll say, they'll remind you that they don't work for the job seeker. They look for, they work for the employers who are seeking candidates, but inevitably they also have people coming to them saying, I'm looking for a job. Can you help me out? And uh, one of the things that they've discovered is that from their vantage point, many of the people who are looking for jobs are just doing it all wrong. And so there's, there's some real technique issues there. So we've got New Canaan Society, Headhunters, we've got Chip, and then I've got one more guy, to, actually two, one, we'll just say one more guy, who has taken it as his mission to train people how to search for jobs. He's a full-time head of HR at a major financial services firm in the city, and that's his, that's his paid gig, but he, it's almost like his ministry, which started in 2008 with all the disruption that happened uh, with the crash and the Great Recession. But he's taken it as his mission to walk people through the steps they need to to really do uh, an, a, an, a, a, an A-rated, you know, top, top flight job search. So here we've got all these players. We're all trying to solve the same problem, but we can't all do it on our own. And we worked... We, I mean, I was at the hub. I was the. I I ended up serving as the connector. I connected the dots and saw that hey, we're all trying to solve the same problem, and um, we should work together. We should collaborate, and so we did. And we did an eight-week course. The New Canaan Society promoted it really heavily, um, and we found volunteers at the New Canaan Society to provide dinner. And the guy, the financial services guy, provided all the content, and somebody else found a space. And so we ended up serving 65 people who signed up for this course. Wow. And there's no way I could have served 65 people. There's no way the financial services guy could have found a group in New York City to present this to. He's from New Jersey. And uh, it gave some relief, actually, to the leaders of the New Canaan Society and the headhunters who are bombarded with questions with people who really don't either know or want to do all the homework they need to do to do a good job search. So... That's an example, I think, of really effective collaboration. We're solving the same problem, helping people find work. We're each doing something that fits in our lane. And it was a temporary project. It's not forever. You know, we, we had a nice breakfast a couple of weeks ago and debriefed, and we're probably going to do it again in the fall. But the reason I did it and entered into it is because I don't want to have to develop the capacity and do all the work, I want, but I want to get to the results. And I think we all felt that way. We don't want to do all the work, but we want the same. We all want the same result, and we all saw that we could get to that result more quickly, at a bigger scale, than if we did it on our own. So it sounds like the the solution was a real relief valve for mm-hmm. all of you. That there's this pressure building up. Exactly. That I, here I am solving part of this problem, but in incompletely. If only I could do it in a big way, but I can't. And so there's pressure to like chip. What about this? How about that? And so by collaborating you were able to temporarily take away the pressure and maybe you'll do it again. I don't know. Right. But maybe it's a periodic collaboration or something. That's what we think it will be. Yeah. Okay. But that pressure piece is huge. And in the, uh, at least in the, non- in the nonprofit world, the, the, the writing about collaboration by Stanford social v- review says you have to have a shared sense of problem. That's that, that's that pressure that you're talking about, Ken. And if you don't have that, like if we can't even agree on what's wrong, um, we're not going to collaborate. And if we don't feel like there's this pressure to solve it, that's solve a problem that's bigger than what our company or organization 
can do on its own, we're not going to have a pressure. There's no, there's no momentum to collaborate. So, uh, so that has me wondering about examples of non-collaboration where we talk about it, right? And, and I know we're here to talk about collaboration, but I think that what I think you and I are seeing is that there's a lot of talk of collaboration, but less action. And that, that's a very frustrating thing for me. I think it's frustrating for you. I know that uh, employers I deal with, their, their staff and leaders are very frustrated when they say, we're going to do this, and then nothing happens, and that has morale and, and motivational issues. And so um, I'm wondering if um, a lot of the times when we're talking about collaborations, because we have a problem, uh, but we're not really completely, completely committed to devoting resources or to changing the way we're dealing with things. And then, so, so we talk about it, but when push comes to shove, we're not really that committed to changing how we're doing things. Well, I think that's an apt critique, Mike. I mean, um, but a lot of this really comes down to leadership, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, as whoever's the leader who's ever stewarding or responsible for a given, you know, it could be a, a division of a company or a product line or an organization, it's like they have to know, they have to know a couple of things. They've got to know, you know, what's my mission? What's my purpose? What what are the things that are really priorities for us? That's mm-hmm. the first thing. Um you know, the, the problems we're trying to solve or the opportunities we're trying to seize, like if you're not clear on that, then you're not going to be able to say yes or no to a collaboration. And, um, and the second, the second thing is, um, you know, just knowing the landscape and what's the best path forward and being humble enough to acknowledge that in certain cases, the best path is we got to collaborate with that other department in the company, or we've got to find, you know, some a group in our industry that's going to have some expertise or have some some lobbying power that we we can't get on our own, and we need to work together with them. You know, it it so it's it's kind of those two things. It's the clarity and it's the humility. Yeah, and it's and I think that's what the leader. And you know what I'm thinking of, uh, Chip, is I'm thinking about the conversation we had last year, and there were two things we talked about that, about in there, and you were talking about the, the strength of the leader and the kind of leadership shown right now. Um, one of the other things we talked about last year was this idea that um, there's an, a, a backbone for collaboration is provided that comes from outside the organization. And um, I, I'm thinking about uh, an effort I engaged in probably five or six years ago where I was uh, invited in to help, help an organization do some strategic planning. And I was invited in when they were struggling uh, with the process. And um, everyone was there because they were committed to the idea of collaborating. Um, And what I found when I got there was that uh, they were committed to the idea, um, but they were also relying heavily on that backbone to make it happen. And the solution in that case was simply I, I chatted with the leader and suggested that what really was needed is was some personal leadership, and that she needed to, to pay she needed to pay all the individual players a visit and um, call on them 
to do and play certain roles. And once she was able to exercise that personal vision and uh, calling folks out to, to do things, it just rolled. Uh, and that, that goes right to that idea of leadership. You know, there's, there's an idea where somebody has to step up and take leadership and not just rely on the group to produce something, but to give leadership energy to it. Right. I think, I think that's a great example. And, and as you were sharing that, um, as you were, as you were sharing that, I was thinking about, uh, two things. So you need to have a problem and you also need to have solution providers in the room. And I think emotionally and relationally, the process really starts with somebody being that backbone leader mm-hmm. who sells the problem. Right. And because everybody's got to feel the problem or they're not going to be motivated to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And have you heard the burning platform analogy? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you're on the you're on a platform in the North. Ken hasn't heard it. So I'm going to enlighten him. Please. Oh. Yeah. So he spends a lot of time enlightening me. I want to try and return the favor. Well, yeah. you're a good guy. Yeah. Thanks so, for doing that. Uh, but the, the analogy is there's this you're on an you're on an oil rig in the North Sea and it's on fire. And so, you know, it, you try and put it out, try and put it out, but you can't put it out. So it gets worse and worse and worse. And so it becomes apparent that if you stay on the platform, you will definitely die. And so your only other option is to jump off the platform into the North Sea where you will probably die. But you have a chance of surviving. But you're in this type of intense situation where you have to make a major decision uh, or nothing's going to happen and uh, or actually just going to die. And um, so so the obvious call is you have to jump off the platform because you don't want to just sit there and cook. Uh, But when you lead change, you got to you got to light the platform on fire. You've got to you've got to make it um, untenable for people to stay where they are. And this is counterintuitive for a lot of us as leaders because we want to be solution people. We want to be fix it people. We don't want to sell the problem. We want to just say, yeah, there was a problem I got it taken care of. But that doesn't motivate collaboration. You know, there's got to be a group of people sitting around a table that really own and feel a problem. Um, and then they're going to be motivated to work together. Well, the example that I had, I mean, we already were all feeling a problem. We just needed, I, it was a much easier. I didn't have to start, I didn't have to light the platform on fire. I just have to say, you're having, you're having a lot of guys talk to you about looking for jobs, aren't you? Oh yeah. And they're not really prepared. And that, it's pretty obvious why they're not getting anywhere. Oh yeah. Right. It'd be just great if we could just deal with this in one fell swoop. Kind so of their thing. platform was already burning. Exactly. You came along and said, let's jump together. Let's jump together into the, there's going to be a boat in yeah. the North mm-hmm. Sea. So yeah. we're going to yeah. find it. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, I think sometimes the leadership is, um, you know, it's even more refined than that. Here, here's the corridor to the edge of the platform, right? So you're surrounded by flames and you can't even see how to get there. So sometimes the leadership is there to provide Here's the way we do it. We all know we kind of want to do it, but let's crystallize the pathway to getting there um, because we want to do it. It's not just uh, uh, saying we need to jump off, but giving the pathway as well. 
Yeah. And so there's leadership. There's also sacrifice too. I'm thinking about the fact that Chip here took a lead on a collaboration, but it costs something for you and your organization. I mean, you're, you're sort of doing that kind of work anyway, but you had to pick up the bandwidth somewhere to do the organizing and do your part and get those people on board. And I'm just wondering if, if, you know, if, if it's really central to your mission, that cost sounds like an of course, but if it's a little off center from where your core mission is or where the things that are you're being held accountable for, then it might feel like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to pay. How much is this going to cost? How do I fit this in? I'm already pretty busy. I think that's fair. And that could be one of those blocks to collaboration happening. Uh, people will talk about it. They're really just sticking their toe in the water. Um, but I also, I mean, I just, so I think that's true. I'm just thinking though, that there's so many bad meetings where people just talk about collaborating that there's really not an inspirational problem. Uh, another block to it is that you pull together a group of people who are not, they're ostensibly in the same domain or space. Uh, but they're really just they're to be honest, they're competitors. Mm hmm. And they have different philosophy, different philosophies about how to solve the problem. They have been a lot invested in building their own brand, and and you got to build your own brand at some level. And any whether it's a church, nonprofit, or for-profit company, you have to establish the value add that you bring to the world, or you're not going to continue to exist. You know, um, but it's 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 um, it's that combination of having a problem and having people that could really be mutually beneficial, complementary problem solvers. So there's a, there's a curation of who's in the room, I think, that's part of this too. And um, you know, I talked before, uh, last, last year we talked about the, the rescue missions that are working together here in New York, and they, they each serve homeless people at a different stage in the uh, relief and rehabilitation journey. But if they were at the same stage, then there's no reason, and then they're competing. I mean, that, that, that's just, we're competing. Um, you know, and, uh, so it's interesting that when you say at the same stage, what do you, what do you mean by that chip? The process of serving and helping people who are homeless in New York, there's, um, at least these guys have identified three or four stages and, and taking them from a person who's hungry and on the street to a person right. who's completely rehabilitated and has a job. Right. So. There's a group called the Relief Bus, and they go out into all the borough, all over the city, and they just bring people food and medical right. attention right where they are. And then New York City Relief does more of a short-term program, mm -hmm. and then the Bowery Mission does a long-term whole family program. Mm -hmm. So they just actually transition people right through each organization's program. Right. But it's very complementary. You know, they're not... Right. They don't compete with one another, yeah. They're really not. Right, right. So, so then, that's that's you know that that's really forming kind of a vertical link, mm -hmm. but you know uh, exactly in, in, a, in delivering a, a pro, in delivering a product essentially or or some some service to folks, you know. And I'm thinking about you know collaboration um, in other ways. And so, w what if what if we're talking about um, multiple organizations, you know, say Coke and Pepsi, or you know, or HP and, and Apple um, collaborating on an issue that's not their mission. Um, is That's a different kind of collaboration altogether. Yeah, and you might find them working together on some some sort of, you know, in their, their departments for social responsibility or community engagement. Yeah. 
and I like in um, in Kansas City there was a they redid the there's a river that goes right through the center of the city and they redid the park there and uh, years ago but it was a all kinds of you know for-profit companies that would be competitors social services agencies everybody worked on it together the whole city came together they put funds and time into it it was a it was a problem you know the central area of our city is blighted and it's scary and it's a mess and we're going to all work together to clean it up and see it revitalized and it's be- it's really beautiful now right but but it was a they all agreed on the problem they still had their kind of win-win role to play that you know and whether i'm sure i know i know it i know companies in the city who are competitors um you know a couple major banks might both send so several major banks will send volunteer teams to the same homeless shelter so yeah. uh, is that collaborating or sort of i mean they're overlapping but it's not like it's not like they're getting into the nitty-gritty and saying hey let's develop a financial right. product together and they may do that right. but that's more like a, a business partnership where everybody's going to be looking at the numbers really carefully and seeing, is this good for my bottom line? Is this good for my brand? And in the case of technology, like you mentioned, um, Mike, you know, Apple is collaborating with other technology companies to create universal standards for connectors or uh, standard ways that the web should work with the World Wide Web Consortium. You know, there's there's things where everyone can win, right? I mean, if you can plug your your peripheral into this device and also into that device, it means that you only need to buy one peripheral with one kind of cable. So that's in everyone's best interest to do. And I think part of the collaboration opportunity is looking for places where there is that win-win and then finding the leadership and then uh, moving the whole industry forward in a much more powerful way uh, as opposed to just everyone's got their siloed proprietary solution. Right. And I think that yeah. if you can do that and you can still have your differentiator, then then you can not only survive but help everyone else thrive. So, so my head's very much in learner mode right now. So, so, so what I'm thinking about this is, you know, it, it, what I'm dealing with is teams and organizations. We're asking folks to collaborate across functions, right? And I'm thinking about this idea of, you know, can we take people who are uh, ostensibly competitors for status or position or influence or resources and turn them into collaborators? All right? Can we turn these people into when they view themselves already as competitors. And that's, that is, I think, for people that I'm working with, is the, the challenge. Um, and so can we turn competitors into collaborators? What, what do you guys think? I think we can, but you have to slap them first. <laughs> <laughs> now, are we, talking phys- are we talking metaphorically or literally? No, I think a real good slap. Gentlemen, <laughs> gentlemanly, but, you know, just a good slap. <laughs> With a white glove, no doubt. Yeah, white glove. White glove slap. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you really it, mean that. You really do mean a slap. So tell us what you mean by slap. I was being facetious, oh, but... Oh, you were. I, I, I'm, I don't want to be repetitive, but I think it comes back to the problem yeah. issue. And um, Patrick Lencioni, in his book about silos, which is an inter- is about really about internal collaboration, mm-hmm. he, he basically says it comes back to leadership, defining a problem that's so big that everybody has to play. And um, and the truth is that if, the truth is in many industries, if we're not nimble and agile and, and at our best, we're going to be extinct. Mm-hmm. 
that's just the way the market is. And, um, you know, if you fall asleep today, you end up right. without a job and your, or your company ends up without a company. And so it's, it really is. This, and, and on the flip side, when there's such opportunity that when you really work together and, and seize it, which you know gets into your incentive, how you how you uh, monetize incentives at your company, but right. like the upside can be huge, you know, if you get it right. But so it's kind of like we need everybody rowing together in the same direction, and and it's it's not like we it's it's this line between really doing probably amazingly well or not doing at all, and that's really that's really seems to be the choice. I think we're also marching around a heart issue here, mm-hmm. which is that I want not only to be on a winning team, but I want to be the star player. I want it to look like I came up with the solution. And that's why I'm competitive and willing to compete is that I, um, th- there's this, this pride of solving it and pride of winning. And I think that once you get into collaboration mode, you realize that the heart um, of the collaborator is much more of a servant's heart that says, as long as the thing gets solved, I'm not so concerned about how much credit I get or what role I played. I just want to know that the strengths that I am contributing, uh, that I know I have, uh, the fit with who I am and my purpose, and they're driving something forward. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really the spirit, the spirit part of it, the heart part of it that I think is required. Because some people are just not going to be good collaborators because their heart's in the wrong place right, right now. And, it's and, the humility piece. Yeah. We talked like about that a, a lot. Yeah, back to humility. Ahead. I think I think um, you know what Lencioni talks you know, talked about is the same thing Jim Collins talks about as you know a big hairy audacious goal right mm-hmm. Lencioni talking about it in terms of survival of the company now that that is something that um, it can be very uh, powerful to an executive in a large organization and it can be very powerful perhaps to uh, some people in smaller organizations because they can see um, that need. But, so for, but for many people, um, the survival of a company or its adaptiveness is so distant for them that it, that's not very real. And so that, you know, part of that takes, back, takes me back to the slap. <laughs> so, you know, I don't mean a physical slap, but I think that... Um, one of the things that we're missing, that I see missing uh, in leadership in, in clients I deal with and I, I large organizations is the slap that says, wake up. This is not tolerated. What you're doing is not okay. This is how I'm judging you. And unless you change, there are dire consequences for you. So it's not the, it's not the survival of the company. But it's it's your survival or your promotability um, or your success in the future unless you change your ways. And that kind of speaking um, is a very difficult thing to do in places that I see unless you're at the very highest levels and you don't get people you know, worrying, worried about HR uh, slapping your hand. Um, and, and, and it happens at low levels – when it's done very poorly and inappropriately. And so it's a hard thing to do, but I think a very necessary piece of leadership. Yeah, I, I think when you're as I think that that's what, what you're really talking about is um, that leadership has to you connect the dots for people. 
And it sounded like, Mike, what you're saying is they got to connect the dots and say, not so much, it's not about the company. This is about, like, this is about your survival. Yes. Like, if you're not going to, if you're not going to grow up and play nice, then you're not, we're not, we can't keep you on the team. Right. Um, and I, and I guess that, you know, sometimes we say leadership is playing chess, right? Every piece is different and you have to understand each team member, what motivates them. Some might be motivated by a connection to the whole, not just, I mean, survival of companies could sound sort of dull and institutional, but you know, if, if you're a really good leader and you could say, you know, imagine all the good we're going to do as people buy our products or engage in our services and imagine the world, if that doesn't happen, like it's going to be a lesser world. So that's like a bigger cause. And, um, so, but there's that, so that's, there's that side to it. And I, and I, I guess I do think companies have to think about their incentive plan too. Yep. Like, like if, do I do well if the company does well or not? Right. You know, and if, and is my well-being connected or not? In in the city here, um, especially in the financial industry, bonus everybody gets a bon every every a significant portion of people's compensation is bonus. Right. And so, everybody, even in a small partnership type firm, does better when the firm does better. Right. Everybody, and um, but I haven't seen that as much other places. I uh, I think that. And when I, as an employer and a small business owner, I just try to, I just pay people an hourly wage or a salary. I didn't really think about um, the financial reward structure. And that goes back to the whole alignment issue, right? Are they aligned around a common vision or a common purpose? And unless you have those common goals, and this is these are these are these are the places where the systems we set up, uh, you know, in collaboration, break down. Let's get together and collaborate. But guess what? I'm not really being rewarded for this. This is just a nice idea. But when I get back to the office or this other thing, I'm really being asked for this. And this is what I'm paid for. Uh, and this was just a nice idea if I can squeeze it in. Um, and it's not looking at the systems that are that are rewarding a person for moving in any one direction. Um, and yeah. uh, it's a difficult thing. Yeah. So, Chip, do you have any other examples of collaboration before we go? Anything else that you would say would be a positive or negative example of how you've seen collaboration working in the last year? Well, it's a, here's another example. Um, so one of the issues that I see uh, with people of faith in the marketplace in New York City is they get isolated. And they could be working in the same building with other people who have share their Christian convictions, but not even know they're there. And so one of the ideas I had was a little, let's create an app for that, you know, um, and let's, let's help people, let's put them all on a map and let's get them connected. And as I began the sort of due diligence on that, uh, first of all, the costs were really high to develop on my own. And secondly, uh, as some of the people that I'd worked, uh, connected with who had had some app experience, they, they cautioned me about going too quickly. They, they basically, that the soundbite was you can't create a community with an app. You can only enhance a community with an app. And I, I, I took that as true. Like that sounded like wisdom to me, and I just put it on the back burner. And then uh, through the course of my networking and connecting with people, uh, have connected with four or five other leaders who are part of campus ministries. So they're, they're groups that uh, serve college students on campuses all across the country. And one of the things that they're all here for is tracking with graduates who get out of college and come to New York. And they see the same challenge, that when they come here, they're all alone. They don't have any friends. They want, uh, they need things, like they need to find places to live. 
Um, they also need friends and they need, many of them want connections with people that share their Christian faith, but there's no mechanism to do that. And so together we're working on an app. And in fact, one of them, uh, they, they just have the resources in their organization to do pay for a lot of the development, which is great. And, you know, the commitment that all of us are making is that too, really, we spend the time to speak into the actual design. Um, and the second is that we'll bring all our networks together. And we think that collectively we could probably have three or 4,000 people that will be introduced to this app at once. So again, it's kind of, there is a humility involved that none of it, you know, we're all going to have a bunch of, there should be a bunch of logos on there, but it's not going to be any single logo. We're going to give uh, the organization that's paying for it, we'll get more real estate. We think, and we all think that's fair and that, that helps them internally negotiate for funding. And uh, at the end of the day, um, it's going to solve a problem we all see. So we get back, we're, you know, we're back to the problem, we're back to the humility, um, we're back to people that have something to bring to the table that they're willing to share, which in this case is our network. And um, it looks really promising. So, so in that case, the impetus for not doing it yourself was you don't have the resources, but you still have that vision. Did you have to sacrifice any of the vision for the, when, when you went to collaboration? Is I don't think so. No, I think that the vision is even will be more fully realized by collaborating. Well, I, I, I thought what I was hearing is what you didn't have was the community. Yes. I mean, I have, I have my community, right? But, which is probably, say I have a thousand contacts in greater New York. Right. But an app doesn't work unless you get enough people using it and populating it and posting. Yeah, there's a difference between a Rolodex and a community. Right. Yep. And so what I, I guess, I guess what I was thinking was the, was the new thing to this was, you know, say I graduate from college and I'm, I'm with crew, you know, I've, I've been participating in crew and, um, this is a place where crew alumni go I know there's other there's I already have an identity that I share with crew and um, and this has power I this this has community for me because there's other people in crew here uh, and then it expands beyond crew as well and so it's adding that element of community which gives it that leg up for success exactly okay and a sense of critical mass so that there's enough activity people right. posting things options for everything from, and then, you know, and then if you get that kind of engagement, then you actually have, then you have a, a, a potential means to even pay for it in the future because people are going to want to advertise on it. So, right. and then it's, then, then you've solved another problem, which is how do you pay for the maintenance of it to keep it good? You know, it's a right. cyclic, cyclical thing. Uh, Cause if it's not got fresh content, it's not going to be engaging. So, I guess what I'm saying is I didn't have the resources network on my own for this vision to become a successful reality. I think collectively we probably do. Right. So, Mike, any last uh, remaining questions, burning desires on your on your mind for Chip in terms of collaboration? Well, I, I don't have any questions. I just, I just think I think that's a great example of um, you know last time we spoke and we were longing for really things to come through, and that's a great great example of how things do come through and how patience, um, you know, gives you the time to, to really find a good collaboration that's going to work. So I, I'm, uh, I'm very hopeful for that. Very hopeful for that, Chip. That's great. Yeah, I am too. And we'll see. Um, but I, I think it's, 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 it gets back to this big, the big idea is that sometimes collaboration is the right play. Sometimes it's great. You've got to have a problem 
that is really embedded, that is really embraced and sold by leadership. You've got to have uh, humility, and you've got to have people around the table who have the capacity to contribute meaningfully to that problem, mm-hmm. um, and and that are not. I mean, I think if you just pull together a bunch of competitors, it's just that's a poorly designed meeting. Like you know, like <laughs> you're, you're just. You've just shot yourself in the foot from the start. I mean, that's that's just a that's just now. If you're talking about competing for like organizational accolades and resources, Mike, like you said before, that's a little different. That fits probably more under the humility side. And even if you're growing a collaborative culture, sometimes they have to have the come to Jesus conversation. Like, here's where we're going with our culture, and you're not contributing to it. So that's a, that's a little different. But I think. Um, you know, it's just uh, that's that's where you got to sell such a big internal problem that we have to solve together that, you know, we're not going to survive in our positions or our company's not going to survive. But when you, I'm focused more on external collaboration and yeah. it's like if you've got a bunch of people that are just they're this, they just yeah, they just compete with each other. Um, well, shame on you. You shouldn't have invited them all to the meeting because it's not going to go well. You know, it's not going to go well. What were you well. thinking? Yeah. So, so, Chip, before we go, I know you've also done a lot of changes in your personal work since the last year we were together. Uh, could you just update us on what, what are you doing now in the city? What's your work like? And what, what kind of mission are you on? And what impact are you having in the city? Sure. So we've um, we started a, the program that I started, uh, which was called the Marketplace Initiative, has been rebranded. It's now called the VOCA Center. And VOCA Center, uh, we're all about helping people find and follow their calling. We think the idea of having a, a clear sense of the purpose for your work, God's purpose for your work, is a real center and foundation from which you can navigate all the ups and downs and opportunities of work life. And so we basically answer three questions for people. The first question is, how's God made me? We use, we use some great assessments and tools to do that. The second question is, what does God want me to do with in my work, you know, what's, what's his plan for my work, which always starts with the kind of people, person he wants us to be, and then flows into like, what's the long-term vision for what I should do for a career. And then the final question is a strategy one, you know, how do I get from here to there? So we answer those questions through coaching, through workshops, through assessments. Um, I'm also finding that we're, you know, one of the navigation challenges is people that are missed, that are out of a job. And so we do the workshop that I talked about earlier, and that's a key piece of what we do. And I also find that I'm talking with people that want to start companies who want to embed some kind of faith-centered values in a, and, and be able to do that with a white piece of paper. And so we're just those are brainstorming conversations. Those are helping people write business plans. So that's another sort of thread that's, uh, that's evolving as part of what I'm doing. This seems to pull on a lot of the different strengths that you have, right? You've got the experience as a pastor. You've done a lot of entrepreneurial work yourself, doing mm-hmm. starting businesses and running businesses. And you've done consulting for companies um, and even personally coaching them one-on-one. It seems to be like it, VOCA is like bringing all that together into one package. It is. It's a kind of a convergence. So yeah, it'll either be wildly successful or my whole life will go down in flames. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Chip, Chip, I just want to thank you for joining us again here on WorkWise Podcast. It's really been uh, enlightening to revisit this topic and see where it's come since we talked last year. Well, it's been great to be here, Ken, with you and Mike. And uh, I hope the two of you will be able to keep collaborating. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. This where this that the fact that I'm here with Ken in New York and Mike, you're somewhere in some other place that doesn't even need to be named, uh, that that will ruin your collaborative energy. Well, Chip, I, I, you know, uh, despite that you are trying to usurp my relationship with Ken, I, um, I'm hoping that we can continue collaborating with you and working with you. Uh, and I wish you the best with Voca. It sounds like a very exciting thing, and it sounds like you've got a good backbone to help you do that now. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to WorkWise, everyone. For more on my creativity coaching, head on over to kenkennard.com. Or for Mike's work, head on over to credoconsulting.us. And of course, you can learn more about our creativity workshops at creativitylabs.us. I'm Ken Kennard. <laughs>